0: You're listening to the History Today podcast for May 22nd, 2012. My name's Dean, and I'm the website manager at History Today. In the June issue of History Today, we have an article by the historian Edgar Feutwenger. As a young boy growing up in Munich, Edgar witnessed the rise of Adolf Hitler at close quarters. His family lived on the same street as the soon to be dictator. Edgar speaks to History Today editor. Paul
1: can you explain the situation there, Edgar? Well, in
2: 1929, Hitler had his uh, was on the up and up, and he used to live in a less salubrious part of Munich in the center and so i suppose with more money flowing in he was able to afford this rather more upmarket apartment in a leafy suburb one might call it
1: and which which area was that
2: it's called bogenhausen
1: and and where about is that in munich for those who know it's, the
2: city it's um let me think it's Theater, which
1: is the sort of Wagnerian theatre, uh, opera house in Munich. Yeah, suitably Wagnerian. Mm.
2: Suitably Wagnerian, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, was there a sense at that time, in 1929, did you did you get a sense? Because, of course, you were only... Um, I was only uh, five. Just, just five at the time. Did you get a sense that of what the future held there for Hitler, or was he just another politician at that
2: point? No, I... I I can't say that. I mean, obviously I don't remember that clearly what I thought at the age of five, but uh, I suppose I must have vaguely known and my parents must have made it clear to me that he was a significant, if dangerous, person.
1: And of course it was particularly um, significant for your family because one of the members of your family was a, was a particularly prominent figure, an, an anti Nazi figure at that point.
2: Yes, uh, I think uh, uh, somewhere or generally I think he became public enemy number one amongst the sort of Weimar Inter- intelligentsia
1: or literati. That is Leon?
2: That is Leon, Leon, yes, and and, uh, uh, particularly at that point, uh, he wrote this novel about Bavaria in the early 20s, which made fun of Hitler. And, well, I do remember a certain amount about that in that my father, but it must have been slightly later, said he'd been in Berlin, sort of say about 1929, seen his brother, of course, and his brother had read to him passages out of the forthcoming book, which he was rather in the habit of doing. And I think my father, who, was not a public person who didn't particularly want to attract attention. Was rather taken aback. He did tell me that.
1: And um, Leon had written and had great success with Ju Sass, hadn't yes, he? But, yes, but the... that
2: was his He was a celebrity, and I suppose writers were celebrities in those days, perhaps even more so than they are now. Yeah,
1: and and it was in the follow-up there, El, Erfolg um, or Success, yeah, that he um, produced the satirical portrait of Hitler, didn't he? That's Ru- right. Rupert Cussons. The one
2: things. thing that really enraged Hitler was to be made fun of, mm-hmm. and I suppose he. Had the sort of feeling I'll show them.
1: <laughs> and what sort of figure did Hitler cut at this point? Can you remember the first time you saw him? Peter?
2: Well, I mean, the first time that I can really remember seeing him must have been when he was already Chancellor, which was probably early in 1933 when I was uh, eight right and uh, I used to be taken for walks which I didn't like and the, the beginning of the walk was naturally past Hitler's house and just as we were walking there with my nanny, he, he came out and uh, got into his car and that is
1: the first thing I remember about him really. And you write very vividly about one of the most important um Moments in Hitler's uh, confirmation of power, which happened on June the thirtieth, nineteen thirty-four. That,
2: that's right. Yeah. yeah.
1: With, with the Night of the uh, Long Night.
2: Well, that was uh, that I certainly do remember. I mean, by that time I was uh, nine, nudging ten, and. I knew a little bit about what was going on, obviously, not in in any great detail or not as one knows about it now. Nobody knew about it then, as one knows about it now. And I do remember the commotion and the tension there was. You almost could cut it with a knife. And uh, I remember seeing it or hearing it personally by... Uh, you, you know, see, hearing more than seeing Hitler leave, probably at the moment when he was about to drive to a restroom and uh, later have him shot.
1: Yeah, and this this was on the Tagency. Presumably, Hitler was with SS men there who who confirmed their their accession to power at this point by by, yes, uh, yes. by eliminating uh, the SA uh, leadership. At that time, he
2: had obviously SS bodyguards and uh, all that sort of thing. yeah.
1: And the other point that I, that I think you make about this is the um, one of the key moments in the cultural life of uh, Nazi Germany, which is the Entartete Kunst. Um, exhibition uh, that you write about and and your memories of that.
2: Well, uh, it started to be built in 1933. Uh, I think I saw the very beginning of uh, the building because my my dentist or the dentist to which my mother took me was exactly opposite and curiously enough he was also Hitler's dentist. Right at the beginning, of course, I mean, later, presumably Hitler had his own private dentist. And so I remember, you know, it's gradually going up.
1: And this is what is known as the House of German Art. Yes, uh,
2: it was called House of German Art then. Now it's just called House of Art.
1: Yeah, and and this was the, the scene of this exhibition on Encarte de Kunst, or what the uh, Germans call, or what in German is, Degenerate Art.
2: Yes, um, uh, the, the, the generate art exhibition was in 1937, uh, by which time, of course, the House of German Art and all that went with it was up and running. And uh, uh, it was uh, actually it was very popular. A lot of people went there, because that's where you could see the really important pictures, whereas what you saw in Hitler's place was um, you know, very sort of trad stuff, yeah, the um, yeah. um, sort of blonde peasant maidens, etc., etc. Yeah, so the good stuff was in the degenerate bit. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a whole long story, of course, what the uh, Nazis did with German art and how they um, sold it abroad, etc., etc., and plundered it, and so on.
1: And it was pretty clear, or it became clear eventually, that your family would have to leave, and of course you, you left to settle in Britain. Um, can you tell us about that?
2: Uh, yes, well, I mean, the, the, the thing that really triggered it, and uh, you see, made it clear to my father that You know, there was no remaining there. It was life threatening. Was of course Kristallnacht. You know, the night of broken glass in November 1938. And uh, at that point, we then had to strain every nerve to get get out and. As it happened, what we what was arranged in the end was that we got what was called a capitalist visa to Britain. Uh, uh, this meant that a thousand pounds had to be deposited with the treasury in London so that we wouldn't be a charge on the state. Unfortunately, we had enough. Uh, Relations outside Germany with the means, which of course included my uncle Leon, uh, to put down the thousand pounds. That is basically why we came to Britain.
1: And you won a scholarship to Winchester, is that
2: correct? That is right, yes. I went to Winchester. Uh, um, Well, I, I arrived in Britain in February 1938. I went to winchester, yes it was a
1: a very big change and became a historian of
2: and became a historian of Nazi
1: and, Germany uh, among other things
2: taught history and uh, actually most of the time I used to teach british history I taught uh, you know, sort of Victorian politics, you know, I've written biographies of Gladstone and much later of Disraeli and that sort of thing. So that was my stamping ground and my thesis was on party organization around in the 1860s, you know, when British mass parties started to develop and that sort of thing. And it was only later that I taught... uh, German history, because of course the students wanted
1: it. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. And, and few people have, have, have been closer to Hitler, I suppose, in yeah, physical yeah. Well, proximity, well, if not ideologically. That,
2: uh, <laughs> I think, but the, uh, the only thing my students remember. Of me, perhaps even of that time in Southampton, is that there was a
1: bloke who lived opposite it. <laughs> well, they, they can, they and everyone else can read about that in the June edition of History yeah, Today. Yeah. So, thank you very much. Thanks, Edgar. Thank
0: you. Our thanks to Edgar Feuchtwenger for that interview. You can read his piece in the June issue of History Today, which is out this week. Also in the issue, Ian Bradley marks the Queen's Jubilee by looking at the history of the coronation rites. Nicholas Mee recalls the astronomer who first observed the passage of Venus across the sun. Elena Woodacre tells the stories of the queens who ruled the kingdom of Navarre. Tessa Dunlop explores the popularity of tattoos throughout history, and David Runciman, revisits the London Olympics of 1908 and 1948. History Today is also now available in digital format for the iPad, Android and Kindle Fire. Visit www.historytoday.com forward slash app for more information. You can also listen to previous editions of this podcast and comment on anything you've heard by visiting www.historytoday.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening.